Hey, Jason, did you know that AMT is much more than IMTS? Yeah, you know, Jim, most people don't realize this because IMTS is such a huge event, but IMTS is put on by AMT, and AMT is all about aligning manufacturing leaders with the future of manufacturing. So whether that's buying a new machine tool at IMTS or going to the MT Forecast Conference in order to to get a view of what the future of manufacturing looks like. Valuable information that I think I need to know. Yeah, if you're going to cast a vision for your company, which you need to be doing as the leader, you need to know what's ahead of you. You need to know what's going on in different industries. You need to know what the future of manufacturing looks like. So how do we sign up for this MT? Go to mtforecast.com to sign up. Right, and it's October 10th through the 12th at the JW Marriott in downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. Pretty close to here. Pretty close. And as a bonus, you get to see Jim and Jason on stage. That's right. We'll be there at 6 p.m. on the opening night doing a live stage. So we look forward to seeing you. Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined in the DMDII Goose Island studio with my good friend and my co-host, Jason J.Z. Zanger. How you doing, bud? Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I'm well. is over. Yes, it is. End of subject. <laughs> that was a lot of work, it but was. I loved every yeah. minute of it. Was it was fun. It was fun. It was exhausting, though. Yeah, it was fun. It was different. It yes. was different, but I, I hope everyone is enjoying all the post shows that we recorded while we were there, and I hope we can equip and inspire them with all of those days' episodes. Yeah, so many great interviews, panel discussions that we had on a variety of different subjects, and we would love to have the feedback on what you, the Metalworking Nation, thinks of those panel discussions. What was your favorite day? My favorite day was Thursday, which mm-hmm. we haven't released yet. That's no. going to come out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, the, I agree with you. And then um, next would be Monday was a close second. Yes. But, you know, Thursday, we knew the panelists pretty well. Yeah, because they were like our friends. Because they're so representative of the Metalworking Nation. They were the CEOs, the leaders of uh, manufacturing companies. And I enjoyed Monday because, you know, we met our new BFF, Titan Gilroy, and he's a great guy. And, yeah, he is. and we just had a great... And Tony Neary was awesome. It was just a great episode. It really was. So while we were at IMTS, we recorded this episode with Steve Klein from Gardner Media. Steve is going to be at MT Forecast on Thursday from 4.45 to 5.30 p.m. And he's going to be talking about the 2019 capital spending outlook. And you're going to get a little bit of a taste of that right now. Right uh, now. During this interview. And we are going to be speaking on Wednesday night. But we have no idea what we're talking about, do we, Jim? <laughs> we're going to figure that out. <laughs> we will. No, it'll be a good episode. AMT will probably give us some f- dynamic speakers to have on stage with us that'll equip and inspire all of you. And it'll be recorded. So even if you don't have an opportunity to get to Indianapolis for that conference, you'll be able to hear the entire thing. Yeah, and you should come because just like any conference, it's what you learn from the people that you network with while you're there. That's why you go to a conference. I mean, you can listen to this content on a podcast, on video, in a variety of different places, but so much is learned from individual conversations that you have at an event like this. Right. So you want to tell the Metalworking Nation a little bit about what Steve 
shared with us during his interview? Give him a little teaser he as to what to, they can expect. He talked about the trends. So he talked about what, what machines are hot. One of the great discussions we had was is that if you, you can use this data to negotiate. So horizontals are selling like hotcakes, okay? Yeah, I know. And that means that you have little room to negotiate on a horizontal unless you're really good at negotiating. But there could be other machines that maybe are not quite growing at the same rate and that'll give you a little bit more negotiating room when you're when you're buying one of those machines. So I think that that's probably one of my biggest takeaways. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it, supply yes, and demand, Jim. It's all about supply and demand. It's just like the housing industry. And I think I even said this during our interview. If the market's hot in a particular area, that's going to drive prices. That's why you have bidding wars, and it's all about supply and demand. It's like when you buy tickets to a sports event, the World Series, a hot concert. If there's a big demand for that particular thing, it's going to drive price up. Okay, so nobody wants to listen to you ramble. So let's talk about manufacturing news. So manufacturing day is coming up very soon, right? It is. It's next Friday. So can October. I tell you what that is? Yes, you absolutely can. So what, what is it, Jason? Manufacturing please, day, please elaborate. It's, just, it's like it's like when they have like National Ice Cream Day, or you can tell you've got little kids in your house. <laughs> or my, yeah. ki- my kids are interested in beer and margaritas, and you're talking about ice cream. <laughs> or National Hot Dog Day, or like what are the other different kinds of days that I we don't have? Know. And so we have Manufacturing Day, and basically it's just a day to bring awareness to the manufacturing industry. So manufacturing companies can register with Manufacturing Day and have an event at their shop, invite the local high school teachers, grade school teachers, come over and see what manufacturing is all about. See how cool this is. See how we make things and we add to the economy and just how great of a career it could be. So it's just an excuse to open up your shop and really bring awareness, as we've said many times on Making Chips, to the manufacturing industry. And just like on National Ice Cream Day, it's a day to eat ice cream. This is a day for manufacturing. Yeah, you said that very well. Thank you. Yeah. So what should that, we get to the Let's episode? go to the episode. All right. Hello, Metalworking Nation. Today we have a special interview. We are coming to you live from the conference floor of IMTS 2018. Man, you can feel the excitement in the air. Manufacturing is cranked up, and we are here with a special guest. His name is Steve Klein. Steve is the Director of Market Intelligence at Gardner Media Business Inc., a family-owned business that produces media for the durable goods manufacturing industries. He has produced produced forecasts for his family business and the metalworking and plastics industries. He graduated from Vanderbilt University with a Bachelor's of Science in Civil Engineering and has an MBA with an emphasis in finance from the University of Cincinnati. Please welcome Steve Klein. Thanks, Jim. Steve, thank you for being with us today. As Jim said, manufacturing seriously is on fire. Everybody's busy. I have customers that are talking about increases that are mind-boggling right now. Everybody wants to know what is coming in the future. People want to go to the MT Forecast conference to understand what does the future hold. What we want to know is, if we were going to MT Forecast two years ago, four years ago, would you have predicted this manufacturing industry that's on fire right now? 
So four years ago, our capital spending survey, I went in with a projection from that that survey calling for a 38% increase in machine tool consumption. And I did it solely because that was what the survey responses show. We don't manipulate the survey at all to, to show what we want. We just take the responses from people. And that did not happen. So then the next year, I got roundly criticized <laughs> for doing that. And I tried to caution people and say, look, this is just what the survey says. And look, don't get too worked up about it. My personal forecast is not for 38%. Uh, what so was I, your personal forecast? My, mine was for about a 7 to 10% increase, wow. I believe, which was closer to what really happened, but still never accurate. You, know, you never get it so right. So when you look at the data, you actually say, this is what the data is telling us, and this is what I and think this is, is what going I think. to happen. So what, I, I what do you tend think the difference is? So I think the difference is that you know shops are responding to, that answer our survey, responding to the immediate need of their business. And they're only thinking about their business. I need to buy these pieces of equipment for the next year based on my work conditions right Whatever now. Whatever their customers are telling them, right? right? My capacity utilization, I need. I got this new order that I could potentially get, so I need a machine to, to do that, right? And they're thinking about their condition. They're not looking at trends, overall dynamics of the economy, the bigger picture. And so that's where my personal forecast usually will come in that, you know, I'm looking at all these things. I've got a few key leading indicators that I track to try and get rid of all the clutter and the noise that's going on. And I just try to focus on those things and say, okay, what are they telling me? And you can really kind of look out maybe 12 or 18 months doing that. That's about as far as you can go. So two to four years ago, would I have thought where we are? No. And actually where we are is a little interesting because it's not following the usual pattern. What do you, how, what do you mean by uh, that? How is it different? One of the things that's different, we really started our recovery in 2011. That was the first year of kind of machine tool recovery since the Great Recession after oh, 2008, yeah, 2009, awful, right? awful. And we've now had a good machine tool market for seven years. And it looks like we're going to have a good one next year. So that would be eight years. Well, that is fairly long. It's a really a long machine time. Tool it, recovery. It's quite a bullish market. The average... I kind of uh, like it though. You like oh. it? I'm, I'm, I'm smiling. Okay. I'm smiling. The average market typically lasts about seven months, or seven years, I'm sorry, from peak to peak in the machine tool industry. So this is a little long. The other interesting thing about it is typically you get sort of, maybe you could call it kind of a blow-off top kind of thing where the peak of the market usually happens north of $8 billion in machine tool consumption. And we haven't gotten that this particular cycle. We got up to about $7 billion and then we've kind of just hung around there for five or six years now. So you never had this really high peak. So is that why it's kind of sustaining itself longer? Perhaps. Oh, so uh, we're not peaking, we're, peaking. We're, we're, we're just we're kind of up there and we're hanging staying tight. There. We're, staying, yeah. we're, we're riding the wave yeah. uh, up at until, that high level. Up until now, it's been slow growth. You know, yeah. yes, and now I've we're heard, getting yes. into some rapid growth. So, but so 2011 to it. 2014, 15, we had mostly growth. Then 15 and 16, we kind of just, it was down, but not down, down. Like the machine, I mean, the machine tool industry is the notorious cyclical industry. I mean, it is the classic example of that. And an average down market in the machine tool industry is down something like 24%. 2015 and 16, I mean, you were down a few percent each year. Right. So it was just a, it was a pause more than it was a slowdown in the industry. And then I believe 2017, we were up about 3%. 2018 looks up, it's going to be up 5 or 6%. And actually next year, our survey is showing up 11% wow. in 2019. So a pretty strong year. Actually be the strongest since 2000 if we hit what the survey responses show. There's no stopping it. 
let's talk about a, l- a little bit about the MT4 cast, yeah. which you're going to be speaking at, because being a small machine shop owner, I want to go to the experts. I want to hear if this manufacturing renaissance is going to be sustainable. So you're going to be at the MT Forecast as a speaker on October 11th, 2018, and you're going to be discussing data about machine tool spend, types of machinery, industries, regions of the country, and company size. What does the data matter And what does it tell us about the manufacturing industry? So there's a couple of ways to look at how the data matters to the industry. One, you know, Jim, for you as a shop owner, you're thinking about what types of machines are in demand and what am I looking to buy and what does that mean for pricing for me? How does that that affect what what I'm I'm doing, right? I want to buy a piece of turning equipment, let's say, and turning is in really high demand. Well, I'm going to have to accept a higher price than I might have in another year. You know, if it's a down market for turning and I'm looking to buy turning, ooh, I can be a little more strategic in what I'm doing. I can push the supplier a little more on price, push the supplier a little more on delivery time, maybe get some extras thrown in because you're in the driver's seat when the market's down. But when there's a demand for something, we all know price goes up. up. It's just like housing. It's the same thing. If the housing market is hot and there's a really hot area that somebody wants to, and, right. and that particular type of house is in demand, guess what? Right. There's bidding wars. Exactly. There's pricing that goes up. And next year, if we're looking at a strong machine tool market, the seller is in the driver's seat at that point. They're going to have price increases. As a buyer, you're going to have to kind of wait on delivery times. So that's the kind of thing as a buyer of machine tools. If you're attending that event, that's what you're looking at. So one of the things that I hear right now is that horizontal mills and Swiss machines are very high in demand. Is that what you're seeing from the data as well? Yeah. So in our survey, horizontal machining centers look to have a strong year next year. In general, over the last couple of years, I think you're seeing, not just from our spending survey, but from all kinds of data we look at, that horizontal type equipment is the route people are going. It's more productive. It's a little easier to automate. You can get greater efficiency out of it. It's more expensive. I just bought one in the spring, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally one, right? hear you. It was our first one ever. And our customer was really the one that driving that buying decision. So and, you know, they kind of told us that There's that's some what, different programming that comes along with that. It is, but you know what? It was really adaptable for my kind of shop right. because we had the same machine tool brand okay. in the shop. We were familiar with the software. We knew how to yeah. program it. We were familiar with the brand. We were familiar with the maintenance and the people that come in to service yeah. it. So it just seemed like a natural evolution for us to transition from a vertical platform Mm -hmm. to horizontal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us specifically what tools are hot right now such that it will be more difficult to negotiate, the lead times will be farther out, and what machine tools are maybe not as in demand and you can maybe negotiate a little bit more and you're going to be able to get those machines quicker. So in our capital spending survey, we track what I would call six major classes of machines, right? Turning, machining centers, grinding, screw machines, and EDM. Every one of those is going to be up next year according to our survey. So turning is up the most significant. Our survey is projecting a 56% increase in turning. Now take that with a grain of salt. Okay, that we're, we have to look at trends in the survey more than absolute numbers, I believe. Trends are more important than a hard of number. Course. But the fact that we're seeing that big of an increase in turning tells you that the 56%. people... 56%. So keep in mind take that the, the trend, salt, right? I take it with a grain of salt. That if you look at historically over the last 10 years where turning has been, 
that's a dramatic increase in turning. Whether it's 56% or 20%, it's a dramatic increase in turning. And the way I look at it in our survey, because we're asking people to tell us what they're going to buy, what types of equipment, and how much they're going to spend on it, right in a dollar amount for me, that tells you that we got a much greater response from people that plan on buying turning equipment. Whether it's we have two classes, uh, two sizes of turning equipment we look at, less than a 10-inch chuck and a greater than 10-inch chuck. Both are up significantly, but it's the smaller machine that's up even more than the larger machine in the turning market. Is Swiss enveloped into that turning? So we have a separate set of categories that we call screw machining, which would include Swiss-type machines. Within the screw machines, you see the multi-spindle and single-spindle CNC. Mm -hmm. Those have the most significant growth ahead in 2019, according to our survey. I would have to agree with that. Swiss-type is actually down a little bit. Now, again, we're relying on seven to 800 responses, typically. Swiss type is a little more of a niche product than turning in a traditional lathe or turn mill or multitasking machine in your machining center. But we get enough to get a a feel. And so the indication is that it's, you know, a little weak in the Swiss type, but people are definitely looking at multi-spindle and single-spindle CNC. You mentioned before that these percentages, you really have to interpret them correctly. And that's one of the things that's, that's on everybody's mind is, you know, you talk about there was a 50% increase and then well maybe it's actually eight. And I know as a leader, when I look at the industry and I want to say, am I doing a good job as a Mm -hmm. manufacturing leader? There's some things that are outside of my control. General industry trends are for the most part outside of my control, but I want to know that I'm leading my company well. And I want to know that I'm hitting the marks or staying ahead of the marks. So when you look at that growth, how do we interpret the data such that we know that we're doing well against the competition? How do we know that if we're doing 10% growth in the industry is five, we're beating it by five points. How do we look at that data in the right way? So for the data that we produce out of the capital spending survey, what I'm looking at are the last five years, the last 10 years, what's kind of the typical level for this machine type or this industry or this region of the country? And what is the survey showing going forward relative to that kind of average past level? Because the numbers move around all over the place. That's just the nature of our industry. The people that are buying equipment, you do it episodically, right? You're not it's not like you're going to buy Crest toothpaste and you're buying this every week or every other week, right? You're mm-hmm. buying a because machine tool in the tube, right? You're buying yeah. a machine tool every couple years right. for most people yep. at best, and you're doing it because you have a capacity need. But when you buy a machine tool, you can't buy a quarter of a machine to meet your capacity need. You buy a whole machine, mm-hmm. and now I've got way more capacity than I need, and I work my way into it. So that right. creates this episodic nature. So we have to look at sort of a long-term trend, a long-term average to get a feel of where is that particular machine type going? Where is that industry going? And then how is my business, either as a machine tool buyer or or a machine tool seller, doing relative to that? Okay. And, and compare that way and not get caught up in our survey says it's going to be a billion dollars for this and $200 billion or $200 million for that. I need to look at the data over, say, a period of five years or something yeah. like that and yeah. re- look at five years rolling back or something. And then, and then I look at for things that where are the anomalies then, mm-hmm. right? Last year, for example, we the medical industry in our survey typically would consume, let's say, 150 to 200 million dollars of machine tools. And then in our survey, we project that medical was going to be something like 350 or 400 million. Well, wait a minute, we got an answer way outside of the norm here. Something's happening. We're getting a significant response from medical. Is it going to be up that much to 400? 
I don't know. But what I can tell you is, is that there are far more people telling us in the medical industry that they plan on buying equipment. So if I'm a seller of machine tools, I better pay attention to medical. You better industry. target them. Yeah, or, whether whether it's 400 million or not, I need to target them. Or, yeah. or if you're a machine shop operator, that's where you put your resources to go after new business. Uh, that's another thing. And if you're an operator and you're in the medical industry, look at what your potential competitors to make medical parts are buying and know if I'm buying that, like we right. talked about earlier, I might be paying price increases this year because those sellers know that what's going on in the right. industry too. Or if I'm, if I don't feel that demand for buying a new machine tool, I might be losing market share. Yeah. Gardner has been forecasting for how long? So we've done the capital spending survey for 40 years, 40 uh, years, roughly. So uh, based on 40 years of metrics to see how accurate mm-hmm. you've been, how accurate have you been? Yeah, so we because, had, you know, I can forecast yeah. just as good as right. my 25-year-old daughter, who's a hairstylist, can forecast. <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I wouldn't touch I wouldn't depend on either of their data. <laughs> oh, I, I know, but I mean, anybody's guess, because no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, but why, you've listen, why have, listen to me? After 40... <laughs> I think that's the question. Well, that, no, the thing is, after 40 years of collecting right. data, you've got to have metrics on how right. accurate the data has been. Right. Do you have metrics on yes. how accurate the data yes. has been? Yes. So one of the things that I typically will do in my presentations is I will actually tell you how accurate has our survey been. Most people don't ever, dying don't, don't ever tell you, right? Historically, I have data going back for 20 years, even though we've done it for 40. My dad didn't keep all the data the way that I do. So I've got data going back 20 years on our forecast. On average, the survey is accurate plus or minus 15%. Now you say, okay, that sounds like a big number, but you have to keep in mind the way the survey works. We're asking shops in July what they are going to spend in the following year. So yeah, we're that's as- a big ask. We're asking 12 to 18 months ahead of time yeah. what you're planning on doing in yeah. the next year, right? And then consider then when something significant happens in the economy. So for example, 9-11. So we had Major the, the, event. the 2001 survey, which people filled out in July of 2000. Well, in 2001, that final quarter of capital equipment spending, people spent zero after 9-11, right? So that survey was off. The 2002 survey, because it was sent out in July of 2001 before you know, the 9-11 even happened, now that survey for 2002 is completely blown. It was off by 80 or 90%. Well, the people filling it out, they don't know 9-11 is going to happen. I mean, give me a break. Right, you know, they, exactly. They're just going along doing their thing, and then that happens. So, and then the same thing happened with the Great Recession in late 2008, 2009. So the 2008 survey was off. The 2009 survey was really off, and we get errors of 80 or 90%. So that really skews our average error of 15%. The last four or five years, with a relatively stable economy, the survey's been off plus or minus 4%. And also, over time, I've worked on the survey now for 10 years. You know, I get a little better each year of how do we need to still do a mathematical statistical analysis of the spending, not make up my own thoughts about the industry influencing the data, but how can I tweak what I'm doing based on realities of the industry and how do we modify the projection? Because now we've learned that, well, we always over-project this category. Mm -hmm. So how do we adjust that so that we don't year after year after year over-project or under-project something. And so we've gotten a little better at that, too, I think, it's to all help tweaking, make the survey tweaking more. Tweaking the yeah, data. Tweaking yeah. the data. Yeah, tweaking. And, and for like a small machine shop owner, your projections could be off based on a purchase order 
that changes right. from week to week. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that because this is the one question that I really wanted to ask you. As you know, Steve, I own a precision machine shop. And, you know, I have the potential to double my business this year. And it's exciting, but yet I have to admit that I remember those recessionary times and it was gut wrenching and I don't want to ever go back there. So, what can you tell me or just give me a, a little bit of insight as to how I can better prepare as far as buying equipment for right. the future? I would think I don't want to overspend, but just go with what my customer is trying to tell me. Yeah, get- so the challenge there, everybody I think in the back of their mind still has the 2008, 2009 oh, period. And actually walking awful. around the show, you've heard some of the people, You know, there's a little paranoia in the back of their mind like, boy, it's getting too good. Right. Yeah, well, it's we talk good. about that on making chips all the time, and we warn people. And that would be my advice to you, Jim: don't over leverage yourself. I know. So, one, so one thing I hope that most people learned from the two thousand eight, two thousand nine period is don't over leverage. You start using other people's money for things, and when things go down, yeah, the rock they want to come back. You're, 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 you're going to have big caps, problems, you know? right? Right, you're going to have big problems. So that's one thing. Another thing is to have a few key leading indicators that you watch and. Right, It's not one thing going the wrong way that tells you, but when you start seeing multiple things kind of moving in a direction, okay, now I need to get more cautious in the period that we're in now. Conversely, when we're coming out of a down period, you don't just rush out and do something because, well, one number's up. No, look for multiple pieces of data that are confirming. It's a little challenging right now because within our company, I was telling everybody a little bit ahead of the 2008 Great Recession, like, guys, we got to really get cautious here and pare back. There were some kind of sources and data points you could look at to see that coming. The problem is all the people that I was looking at that were telling me that then, they've done nothing but tell you that for the last 10 years. So they're not credible at this point to rely on that. You've got to get a few key pieces that you're looking at. For me, I look at industrial production data. I look at capacity utilization data. I look at the money supply because that's a very long-term leading indicator. I look at durable goods, new orders, which if you're a shop, that's a good piece of data to look at. That gives you three to six months. Also, our business index that we do. A lot of people follow the ISM. We have our own business index that works just the same way, but it's completely focused on durable goods manufacturing. We have a portion of it that's focused just on metalworking. We actually have a portion of it focused on precision machining. Interesting. And so you can follow that index and get a feel for, okay, that's not just my business. What is everybody in my industry doing? And you can start to watch that to see, okay, is the industry tipping over? Is it really slowing down? Is it starting to contract? If I see it to start to contract, okay, I better be more cautious on a machine tool purchase because it's not just maybe my business is good, but clearly the vast majority of shops in in my competitive space are contracting at this point. I might want to be a little cautious. Yeah, Steve, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. You've made me think a little bit deeper about things I'm going to be doing tomorrow, especially with regard to making capital equipment purchases. If people want to connect with you on LinkedIn to get any insight, can they... Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Look for Steve Klein, K-L-I-N-E. Aha. You can also find my group within Gardner Business Media at Gardner Intelligence, G-A-R-D-N-E-R, intelligence.com. So don't confuse it with Gartner. And how do Uh, we get access to that metalworking index? We do a blog post every month, right near the first of the month when we get the data. We also do a short little video towards the beginning of the month, about a minute, minute and a half video, just giving you, and we post that on our website and our LinkedIn page to Facebook as well under Gartner Intelligence, just giving you a quick snapshot of 
what's happening. If you're a shop out there and you participate in the index, you'll get kind of that summary of the blog post and everything emailed to you with the results. So we'd love to get you guys to participate in the index. By all means, go to mtforecast.com, see the full lineup of speakers, including Steve. It's going to be October 10th through the 12th at the JW Marriott in downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. And by all means, register now. And you'll see Jim and Jason on stage on Wednesday night. We will be there by all means. We'll be there at 6 p.m. We're going to be doing a live stage show. So, Jim, that was a great interview. It was. But you know what's just as important as forecasting and casting a vision and budgeting and making sure that you're financially on par and doing the right things? What is it, Jason? Making sure that your customers understand what you do in closing deals. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about next week at the Industrial Inbound Summit. Right. And it's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Harley-Davidson Museum. It's an all-day event. And you're going to get a marketing playbook when you're done with this. So this isn't just listening to somebody talk. You're going to be doing and you're going to be creating. You're going to have a plan for your company. You'll walk away with actionable items to put your marketing strategy together. And Jim, I have a secret. Go ahead. So if somebody from the Metalworking Nation rates and reviews making chips on iTunes, and then they email us and show it to us, I can get you in for free. How are you going to do that? Well, they just have to go to iTunes or rate and review Making Chips and then email info at Making Chips and we'll get you a free code to go to that summit and get that marketing playbook for free. Well, they better hurry because it's next Wednesday, October 3rd. It's an all-day event. Again, it's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Harley-Davidson Museum. It should be great. We're coming on at the end of the day, so if you are a little late, you're not going to miss us. We're going to be the last presenter of the day. But you should be there for the morning. I think so, too. I think it's going to be really relevant information that Playbook is a a fantastic idea, and it's all about being able to take notes and having actionable items to work with when you go back to your company the next day. Also, I want to remind the Metalworking Nation, if they haven't already, please subscribe to the Metalworking Nation. Go to makingships.com, subscribe, give us your email address. We'll let you know what events we're going to be at via email. If you want to sign up, we're going to be creating a lot new content for the website and a lot of new good stuff is coming your way. So don't miss out. We want you to be at the forefront of the information. So go to makingchips.com, hit that subscribe button and give us your email address. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. Spell it. Cumulative. C-U-M-U-L-A-T-I. It is C. Cumulative. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. (laughs) I I was trying to throw you off.